the only person you're gonna scare is yourself. Charlie, what are you oh, doing? Keep the noise down. What are you doing here? Mace, just in time. There's a whole load of police here. Think they're worried you're gonna hurt yourself. How many children are you friends with? Hello and welcome to Netflix, where we're still completely obsessing over The Crown. Uh, This week we're talking about the critical reception and for the first time ever it has been divided. Stay tuned to hear what the critics have been saying. This week, uh, we've got a, a whole host of people joining us. Uh, it's First, it's me, Carm Crumlish, uh, TV reporter from the Express at Cody UK. I'm joined by Molly. Hello. TV reporter as well, Express UK. And uh, also over the phone, over the airwaves, we've got Helen Daly, uh, deputy editor of Express. Uh, not of the whole website, just the TV section. And uh, we're talking about, as we said earlier, um, the critical reception for The Crown. Uh, Helen, what's the deal on Twitter? What's the buzz? Um, Well, there's been a lot of it to start with. Um, You know, the main thing that's really, really standing out on Twitter is that people are loving the Abfan episode. That's episode three of season three. Um, You know, it's one of those hard-hitting ones. We have discussed it on on Netflix before. But especially, you know, people are saying that this is kind of the, for want of a better word, the crowning masterpiece of season three someone says that you know this scene olivia coleman is an absolute legend the whole abifan episode is a masterpiece um another said episode three of season three of the crown will win all kinds of awards that ending obviously the ending we see olivia coleman um olivia coleman's queen kind of cry um which is a, a very very different uh, side of the queen she's normally very stoic she doesn't want to show emotion but obviously this disaster is so tragic and so horrible that she has no option but to cry. So, um, yeah, the Abavan episode has really got people talking. And on that kind of note, you know, everyone is loving Olivia as the Queen, as we all do as well. Um, one viewer said, whoever casted the crown season three deserves an Emmy. Olivia Coleman, Tobias Menzies, Helena Bonham Carter, Derek Jacobi, Geraldine Chaplin, Ben Daniels. Jesus, sign me up for season four right now, please. And, you know, that is the one thing that's really got people talking. Obviously, season three, they did switch the cast up a lot. We saw Matt Smith and Claire Foy leading um, the cast in seasons one and two. Now it's very much Olivia Coleman and Tobias Menzies' world. People are obsessed with it. However, there are a few that are missing Claire Foy. Um, one viewer said, I feel it was a mistake to change the cast in The Crown, and I'm struggling to adjust to the change without Claire Foy. Obviously, there was always going to be that kind of response. You can't please everyone, after all, as we all know too well. But, um, you know, largely it's very, very positive. People have rinsed through it in a day, as I did. And, um, yeah, people are loving it. But, Callum, I know there's been, like, a bit of a mixed response throughout the um, the newspaper land as general. You know, what did the tabloids say? Yeah, so obviously quite a few of the tabloids are quite uh, positive uh, on the monarchy and uh, some are not so positive. Um, but I've seen like quite a good response from uh, all of them um, generally because obviously the, the TV series itself, monarchy aside, the TV series itself is, is really well done and it's well liked and everyone's kind of into the whole narrative that it sort of, for lack of a better word, spins throughout the eight or ten episodes or what have you. Um, a lot of the Express stuff has been uh, a lot of posit- uh, a lot of positivity and a lot of fact-checking. Um, also, there's a lot of interest about the uh, tabloid 
um, opinion throughout the episodes themselves. There's this one very good episode um, where uh, called Bubbykins, where it's focusing a lot on Prince Philip and his mother, Princess Alice, and um, John Armstrong, a fictional uh, journalist, interviews her. And there's a huge amount of search for people looking at whether this person was real, John Armstrong, whether this uh, journalist did really stumble into a room where Princess Alice was hanging out and, uh, you know, getting this weird story out of her. Um, So it's a lot of really strange sort of niche things that it seems the show has brought to light, but also a lot of it hasn't really been entirely true. Um, Like you said, with the ABBA fan episode, which I agree was fantastic, a lot of that was, uh, a lot of the, the tabloid response was, you know, the the explanation about the Aberfan disaster, uh, what really happened, did the Queen attend, did it really take her, um, you know, a good while to actually get down to the disaster and see the people um, that were affected by it. Um, but generally, it seems like it's been all quite positive. But I think, again, that's because the TV show is so good. Um, it's sort of, it, to me anyway, or to a lot of people, it seems that the, uh, the show sort of split the... Um, how do I say? It, it seems as if the show sort of split the um, uh, the reality from it. It doesn't seem to me anyway quite as in, entrenched in reality anymore, if that kind of makes sense. Uh, Olivia Coleman, although she's honestly just so, so good, I feel like when you're watching her, you are definitely watching her play a character, whereas in, I feel like, maybe I'm biased from Claire Foy, but I feel like in the first two seasons, Claire Foy looked like she was playing a real life queen? I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm just I'm just jaded by the crown now. But um, yeah, we've had a lot of weird weird uh, responses from it. Uh, Daily Express, Neela Debnath uh, from our team, she reviewed it and she gave it uh, a really good write up. Uh, I don't know if you read it, Molly. And she uh, basically said that Coleman is. Uh, well, let me quote her. The performance is all in the voice, and Coleman nails it as she utters her first line, and away audiences are taken with their new queen, and that kind of runs with the whole season. Uh, Olivia Coleman is unbelievable and uh, she basically gets a lot of praise throughout the entire entire spectrum of tabloids. Daily Mail, uh, similarly, giving them five stars. Um, the Mirror, also giving them five stars. Again, it's it's all based on the acting and this is what I mean. It's, it's more about the character... It's more about the actors and how they're doing their characters. Tobias Menzies as well puts on this really weird and wonderful display of being Prince Philip. He talks with this weird like cadence that just is really emotes this, uh, you know, man entrenched from the the past like 50 years. Um, So it seems to be that, you know, whether the tabloids are loving or loathing the the monarch uh, or or I guess the monarchy, they're kind of loving the show regardless. Um, But you, I think, looked into the broadsheet response, right? Um, I did, yeah, and again, it was largely positive. Obviously, the broadsheets, um, you know, they do kind of have a, a bit of a love-hate relationship with the monarchy, um, and yeah, it was it was again largely positive, especially of Coleman's replacement of Foy, um, Lucy Mangan of the Guardian. She's praised Olivia Coleman as Queen Elizabeth, you know, and equally um, given praise to Tobias Menzies and Helena Bonham Carter, um, particularly of Coleman saying that she could channel the top Windsor most effectively which is probably the highest praise you can get. Um, meanwhile, she said that Menzies is the perfect Duke of Edinburgh and Helena Bonham Carter is ideal as Princess Margaret. But um, Anita Singh from The Telegraph, she thought that she was watching Olivia Coleman rather than the Queen. This is actually something that we have delved into a little bit. The opening two episodes, you know, it is it does have that kind of slight comedic edge, which we know Coleman can nail every single time. However, it is so jarring compared to seasons one and two where you see Claire Foy just completely 
down the line, um, no emotion given, where we see a little bit of a cheekier queen. However, obviously that is um, rectified by the Abafan episode of season three. Um, she goes on to say that Menzies is a commanding Duke of Edinburgh and even says that he speaks in the Prince of, even though he speaks in the Prince of Wales's accent. I actually thought he nailed it, but yeah, I'm <laughs> that's with you. just me. Yeah. yeah, I'm with you there as well. Um, Ed Power from The Independent, he has talked about um, Vanessa Kirby and Helena Bonham Carter as Princess Margaret. You know, they say that they simply haven't swapped out the actresses. They've also reimagined the character from the ground up. Um, and that, that is something that I kind of picked out. I don't know about you guys, but um, Helena Bonham Carter's Margaret felt a little bit different to Kirby's, although they both still had that kind of cheeky side and, um, you know, they were still obviously Margaret. Um, you know, it was very different and maybe that reflects the different point of, of Margaret's life. I don't know what you guys think with that. Yeah, I'm, I kind of agree with you there. After I kind of caught up with the last episode of uh, Crown Season 2 or last couple of episodes of Crown Season 2 just before, I guess, a couple of weeks before Season 3 came out, and I agree, Helena Bonham Carter is great and she's a personal favourite of mine in life. Uh, but she plays, to me, like an entirely different character despite playing like the same person. Yeah, I just, with Vanessa Kirby though, I was just like straight away, like couldn't take my eyes off her. Yeah. Whereas, again, I love Helena Bonham, Bonham Carter as well. So I just, yeah, no, I liked Hel- Helena's performance of it, but I think Vanessa Kirby's was better. But then again, it's a different time. So it's different. It's a different character. They have completely reimagined it. I think Ed Powers Yeah, completely right. I, I like what you, what you said, Helena, about it being a different time in her life. I mean, I guess this is post-marriage and stuff and she's kind of more settled down. And we get that episode earlier on in, in season three where uh, Helena Bonkart, Prince, Princess Anne, is kind of, she's kind of jaded with her life, right? She's kind of miserable. She's Her husband keeps leaving and she's just hanging out and she's not really like 100% happy. So maybe that's kind of reflecting the change in her life as well as the change in her literal actor. Um, I don't know. It's, I think she's great. Don't get me wrong. I think she's really great. Just, yeah, kind of jarring when you're like, oh, I was watching you in, as an entirely different person last season. Mm. And in terms of, like, the tone of, of um, The Crown Season 3, the broadsheets have really picked up on one aspect of it in particular. Um, the Guardian's Lucy Mangan, she said that she thought it was a bit soapy, which um, was not a word that I would use to describe it, but, um, you know, she is also kind of backed up by Anita saying who also said that the crown is the best soap opera on television. Um, now, you know, you might initially think that could be a bit of an insult. Um, obviously soaps are maybe a bit of a lower caliber to um, the Royal family. However, you cannot deny um, the power of soaps, especially their ability to grip with human stories. And I think that's a really interesting point that Mangan and Singh pick up on is the element of humanity within the royal family this season. You know, you see um, family tensions, especially with Charles and the Queen. You see divorce through Margaret. Um, You see affairs, which, you know, is commonplace for soaps. And I think it is a really, really interesting comparison to make. And I think that might be tapping into the appeal of the crown in that... Um, it never ever feels alien to us because we can kind of relate to them. That's really what Peter Morgan does so well is allow the viewer to relate to the monarch on screen. Yeah, I don't think I would ever describe it initially as a soap, but now that you've said it, I can't kind of break that up in my brain. I guess it is kind of soapy, right? Because I never thought I would uh, relate to princess anne or prince philip or anything but after watching the episodes uh, recently and and seeing kind of the things they i guess went through i'm kind of like wow he 
you know, I feel really bad for him. He's having an issue with his mom and his brother Mountbatten is, or I guess his uncle, sorry, Mountbatten has got this whole existential crisis of getting older and it's like, God, I now relate with the prince, but obviously I, I don't. really felt sorry for Prince Charles oh when he God. had no friends in Wales. I, I was like nearly crying. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. This is what I mean. Like they're the most privileged people on the planet yeah. and we're like, oh, that was me, you know? Like it's just, just yeah, I, I think, yeah, uh, whoever said that it was Lucy Mangan. Yeah, Lucy Mangan. Yeah, soapy is actually a great word to describe it. That's really good. And one thing that, you know, I did spot a difference between the broadsheet and the tabloids. The broadsheets were a lot more critical. So Mangan and Singh both offered the crown four stars out of five. Ed Power actually gave, um, from The Independent, he actually gave it three stars out of five, um, saying that he was less impressed, saying that it was a bit of a slog to get towards the end. Um, which, you know, is probably one of the most critical things we've heard this season because it seems to be so well-loved. Um, he says, three seasons in, the formula to which the crown bends the knee is as plain as a huge gem-encrusted headpiece. And he adds, a major world event from the period will be reframed as a crisis for Buckingham Palace. And ending, he adds, but for now, the jewel in Netflix's tiara has lost its glow. Savage. <laughs> I mean, man, come on. Um I don't know. I, I I disagree. I don't know. I don't know about you. I just thought it was really different this time round. But I don't. I don't agree with the fact that it's lost its glow, quote unquote. But it was different. It's just whether you like the change. I feel like I preferred it to the first two seasons. I really like Olivia Coleman. I yeah. think I prefer Claire Foy, but I think this is way better. I don't know. I think it's glowing, but just in a different way. It's not the same glow. Yeah. But they're different jewels. <laughs> I think people are so attached as well, though. You've you spent, like, how was it, three many years over the two seasons? Maybe four. I don't know. But two seasons of the same cast and characters and everything, and then to have them all completely missing, because everyone was replaced apart from John Lithgow, who plays yeah, yeah, Churchill. Yeah, I think people do miss... I prefer Matt Smith as Prince Philip. Nah, give me Menzies every day. He is good, but... He's very yeah. good. I know, but, yeah, um, I think that's people's problems. I think it's interesting as well to note that all the tabloids uh, gave it, like, really good four or five stars, mostly five stars, I think. Uh, and all of the sort of broadsheet stuff was giving it lower scores. I guess to be expected. It's just interesting to see it laid out like that, I suppose, isn't it? Molly, internationally though, uh, what's the deal? Okay, so it's been really, really positive. But the biggest issue, like I think I just referred to, was uh, the reviews of the new cast. Um, everybody has kind of got issues with Princess Margaret and the new Prince Philip in particular, but everybody loves Josh O'Connor as Prince Charles and Princess Anne, who's played by Erin Doherty. They're like the new favourites. Um, but yeah, biggest criticism as well has been the absence of like UK popular culture, which I'll say in a second, because I think it's very interesting, which I never thought about until I finished it. But yeah, mainly from the British press anyway, it's all very positive. Guardian Telegraph are four and five stars. Independence as we just said, was three out of five, but mostly positive, apart from the savage end comment. But um, in general, people like love or hate the new, to, like hate um, Tobias Menzies as Prince Philip and Helena Bonham Carter as Princess Margaret. They're the kind of biggest issues of contention. Um, but yeah, so in India, uh, Vida Maru, I think is how you pronounce, is he said that Olivia Coleman was magnificent, magnificent sorry, and brought signature uniqueness to Queen Elizabeth II. However, um, he criticised... Um, Helena Bonham Carter's performance as an older Princess Margaret, describing it as quite shaky in comparison to Vanessa Kirby, who played her the first two seasons. Which kind of uh, reflects what we've yeah. uh, said a minute ago, so yeah. 
Um, and then Cosmopolitan um, did, I actually really enjoyed this review because it was quite funny. But um, they said the new series was kind of bland, but set up season four uh, like very, very well, especially with the introduction of um, the new characters, uh, Prince Charles and uh, Princess Anne, and then Gillian Anderson to play Margaret Thatcher in season four, and Emma Corrin as Princess Diana, which I think is quite an interesting look at it. Yeah, it's kind of the Infinity War to season four's endgame. If yeah. Any, you know. Yeah, she, uh, her name's um, Emma Beatty. She was quite critical of the new season, but was also every end of sentence had like a positive spin on it. It's like to set it up, which, so now I don't even think of it that way, but now I'm quite excited. And Gillian Anderson as Margaret Thatcher is going to be great. <laughs> I'm really interested by the kind of bland comment, especially because, you know, we, we have described it as being like a soap opera, and yes, that does mean it has its lulls and highs. I think I'm, I might tend to agree very, very slightly in the sense that I was literally just waiting for Charles and Camilla to arrive. Um, yes. <laughs> and, you know, obviously that came right at the end. Yeah. I see I see what she means because um, it does really set it up for Princess Diana's arrival. I know we're going to do a special podcast all about Lady Di. But, um, yeah, I know I'm super excited to see how they handle Thatcherism, how they handle Diana, the big, meaty, pol- um, political and royal kind of subjects that you know, we are a little bit younger than maybe the normal Crown viewer. They're the kind of issues that we can really resonate with, the the ones that we remember. Yeah, definitely. So just a sidebar, do we think or do we know that next season is like entirely Lady Di and uh, Thatcher based? Like, because I know they're in it and that's the whole thing, but is that are they the main point of next season? Do we know? I hope so. I think so. Judging by, they've released some pictures and right. they've got um, Charles and Diana on I think it's Australia tour and right. they're mimicking the outfits exactly the same. It looks insane. And then obviously Gillian Anderson's going to be great. It's that tour, I think. She's, she's perfect in everything. So that's, that's fine. I can't wait for, I can't wait to love Thatcher. And then another um, American uh, review from Rolling Stone, um, Alan Seppenwall, uh, praised how they introduced Coleman to the role, which I agree with. I thought it was quite funny. It was very, um, Olivia Coleman, I guess. And um, he also credited uh, how amazing it was that even replaced like all the minor roles, yeah, like Derek J- Jacoby, Jacoby uh, took over Alex Jennings as Edward, Duke of Windsor, who's like a really minor character. And even standing behind the Queen, well, Olivia Coleman as a Queen, you see all these new faces. Mm-hmm. And I bet if you asked each one of them who they're playing, it'd be a totally different, yeah. it'd be the same person from the last two seasons. Um yeah, some uh, reviews have been doing like individual reviews of each episode and each one kind of praised the Bubbikins episode. I thought... It was um, a really good episode. Yeah, I thought Aberfan was going to be the big, big episode, but a lot of people were loving Bubbikins yeah. and Princess Alice. It's going back to that soap thing. Like, you get this weird sort of personal thing from Prince Philip and uh, his family life, which I guess isn't really... Like, it's public knowledge, obviously, but it's not really ever touched upon, is it? It's always the history of Queen Liz or whatever. Um so yeah, I can see why people are interested in that. I don't even know about it either. No, like, no I had no, no. no idea. So. No, nor did I. I think that's why people love it. And then Ed Power for the Irish Times. I think he might have done the uh, Telegraph review as well. But um, he said Olivia Coleman glided into the role, but he wasn't really a fan of Tobias Menzies and Helena Bonham Carter. And his biggest criticism, which I really agree with, actually, um, but maybe that's just me. Um, he criticised the fact that they didn't mention kind of UK popular culture. They um, focused it around headline events um, between 1964 and 1977, such as like Aberfan and the moon landing, but they didn't touch on 
like the Beatles, uh, England were winning the World Cup, um, Nixon's pre- presidency. And the biggest thing as well, which kind of annoyed me, is he didn't even mention the outbreak of the Troubles in Northern mm. Ireland, which is massive. I didn't think of that. Yeah. That's that's crazy. Considering they did the Abafan, like yeah. one episode to the Abafan, fine, great. Amazing, like it, yeah. It was really good. But yeah, like breaking out into the, the Troubles, it would have been... That would have been bold and really good. Yeah, and they do so much as well on um, Parliament, like Harold yeah. Wilson, but they didn't touch on like Churchill's death and all that. They did all that, but didn't cover Irish politics, which is UK politics yeah, like at the time. There's, there's that whole episode for uh, Lord Mountbatten where he's like supposedly like, overthrowing, making a, a coup. Yeah, <laughs> but the, the, they don't. Yeah, dive yeah. into the other stuff with it where it was actually like politically and tragic and horrible. You know. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I never thought of that. World oh. Cup, I can, I don't I can live without it, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> but the yeah, rest. absolutely. Helen, do you think they missed out on anything? Yeah, I think that the thing is, is that um, they kind of touched upon like a slight bit of cultural history when um, Princess Anne was walking into Buckingham Palace singing David Bowie's Starman. And like, the scene has actually caught people's attention on Twitter. You know, people were like, oh my God, love Anne singing Bowie, how amazing, whatever. And I think they missed a real shame there because, you know, so much of culture has been formed from the 60s um, and, you know, to an extent, the 70s, 80s. Maybe they'll pick that up in season four. I'm not sure. But, you know, they could have just pushed the soundtrack a little bit more. Um, You know, they could have pushed Charles being a student a little bit more when he um, was in Aberystwyth ahead of his um, investiture. And I just think they kind of maybe missed a little bit of a trick with showing the young royals kind of existing in the swinging 60s because I, I doubt that they, you know, I doubt very much that they were, were listening to classical music. You know, they were probably listening to Bowie. I do agree with you, but I'm going to play devil's advocate. I feel like if you then inject this, uh, you know, widely spread uh, Netflix show, you inject it with all these cultural touchstones of music and movies and all that it kind of becomes like for your second marvel reference today kind of becomes like guardians of the galaxy you know how like peter quill's got all these 80s songs going through it and it's it becomes sort of a meme of the movie you know what i mean like everything mm. is oh remember in the 80s ninja turtles etc etc i feel like if they did that with the royals it they would also become a bit of a meme and they would become a bit of a joke because then it'd be like oh yeah because prince charles was hanging out the back of his limo with uh you know david bowie and nirvana blasting out of his subway like I feel like it'd be a bit too much I do agree Princess Anne though is Princess Anne everyone loves her and that moment when she's singing is like I think they could have capitalised on that a bit but I do agree with what you're saying you don't want to make it unrealistic as well because they obviously had a different um, exposure to like what we would if we were in the Mm. 60s like they're the royal family they're not going to be I don't know going yeah. to Woodstock Festival exactly, and stuff. Exactly, you're not going to be going down to going down a gig like down yeah. the road or whatever. They're going to be getting it all from other venues. But I do agree with you, Helen. I feel like they could have leaned into it just a little bit more. But there's certainly, in my brain anyway, like a cliff that they should not have jumped over eventually. I mean, I hope they do push it for season four um, because especially if you're bringing in Thatcherism, you can't avoid the kind of pop culture references to her. You know, you've got amazing songs like The Who's Won't Get Fooled Again which is, you know, directly about the riots surrounding Thatcher, surrounding Thatcherism and the rise of it. Um, and I think, you know, you, you need these songs to show um, the kind of zeitgeist of the, <laughs> almost of how people were feeling at that time. Because what The Crown does so well is showing, you know, pe- the people are discontent. This is how the, the royals are going to react to it. And I guess, you know, as moving forward into season four, there is a lot of unrest, especially 
because of Thatcherism, with the rise of Thatcherism, and also with the royals, when Princess Diana does die, there is a lot, a lot of unrest, a lot of criticism. Yeah. And what reflects that better than music? So basically, we want a musically themed political TV show, kind of based around the royals, but also loads of like, you know, the insurgent of punk and Thatcherism and all sorts of stuff like that. It just saves time because, you Idiot. know, if you have a song like Won't Get Fooled Again, yeah. that is very clearly about the time it was written in. And I think, you know, it's a way of kind of saving time. You can show that song with a bit of riot footage, then, you know, move on to the role reaction. And I think for me that would really kind of help place it in history. But I don't know if I'm being overly critical. But I just want a soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, like you're certainly not going to be the most critical uh, of all the critics, I suppose. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us for our chat about The Crown Season 3 to hear all about the critical response it has received so far. If you liked what you've heard from us, please make sure you give us a follow on Twitter at NetflixPod and get involved with the debate. Next week, we're going to be talking all about Princess Diana, uh, everything surrounding her, and then I guess leading into Season 4, which, as we spoke about earlier, will be based on Princess Diana and a lot of Margaret Thatcher and all sorts of that good stuff. Um, So from Helen, Molly and myself, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. 